0: So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue-white-green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Ashley Streeta jones is a speaker, facilitator, writer and activist. She was named the youngest ever ACT Woman of the Year in 2018 and is a listee on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. She has led Youth Campaigning for World Vision, Assisted Plan International, Australia's Youth Activist Series, and in 2019, organised and co-hosted Canberra Women's March. She's a Vice President of YWCA Canberra, Deputy Curator of the Canberra Global Shapers Hub, and co of the Girls Take Over Parliament Program in 2017. She's advocated for youth and gender equality on an international level and was invited to run workshops at the Youth Commission on the Status of Women at the UN before returning to Australia as an Australian delegate in 2019. The very same year, she was recognised as one of Australian Financial Review's 100 Women of Influence. Ashley recently launched Raise Our Voice Australia, a training program to boost the presence of young female and non-binary voices in public decision-making and was selected as one of 50 global young leaders to attend Davos at the World Economic Forum virtually in January of this year. And today I'm delighted to have her on The Politics of Everything discussing all the things she does best. Welcome, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. So let's go back to your childhood. Did you have a dream to be PM or something like that? And did that happen? Just tell us a little <laughs> bit about your childhood dreams and where they landed you.
1: Great. Well, as as with all children, I had a dream uh, that was totally unrealistic. In my case, mine was to be a Pokemon trainer because the timing oh, was that's right. Very cool. Yeah, Ash Ketchum. I thought it was obviously meant to be. It was obviously not meant to be. And when I was I pivoted my career dream somewhat from wanting to be a Pokemon trainer to wanting to be a human rights lawyer. So this came about uh, actually following a trip that I took with my parents and I was very fortunate to have the means to grow up traveling and experiencing contexts outside my own and in 2005 my parents took my younger sister and I to South Africa which is the country they used to live in just before having me. And on Christmas Day in 2005, I found myself with my parents in the southwestern township, or known as Soweto, which is one of the largest slum areas in Johannesburg. Now, from a very childlike perspective, being just 11, being Christmas Day, I think the thing that hit me the most was how many of these children and how many families wouldn't experience Christmas the way that we would. How many children wouldn't receive presents? How many people wouldn't really mark this occasion at all. And that was the first time that I remember being fundamentally uncomfortable with the world I lived in, with the privilege that I held, and made a commitment in that moment that I was going to spend the rest of my career and the rest of my life working to alleviate uh, such dramatic inequalities in the world that we live in.
0: That's pretty incredible. Most 11-year-olds, and I have a 12-year-old son, he's just thinking about when he can go to his next Sydney FC game <laughs> and, you know, maybe on the weekend whether we can go to the shopping centre. So obviously that that awakening happened for you at quite a young age, and it's obviously stayed with you, just understanding a little bit about what advocacy is for people who may not be familiar with it and how you can achieve it to support issues that you might be passionate about. I mean, do you have a working definition of advocacy and the role it plays? And also, how is it different from activism?
1: Really good question. So I've got the definitions that are a little bit world by Ash or the way that I think about advocacy versus activism. And I conceptualise advocacy more as representing an issue and activism more as taking direct action. So there's an argument to be made that activism is also advocacy, but advocacy could be raising awareness of an issue, having conversations about an issue, writing a letter to your Member of Parliament Activism could be trying to create structural change within a particular system, or running for office, or something that that has a little bit more of that "go out and get them" type vibe, like
0: a practical element almost. Yeah, to it. yeah, much,
1: much more practical. And again, activism is a form of advocacy, and arguably, both of these things need to work together in tandem to create change.
0: Yeah, they, they go hand in hand. So an advocate can obviously identify issues that affect people's lives and support causes to bring about that change in the particular areas that they're working on. And I often think of the practical elements with things like changing laws, policies, attitudes, and even the allocation of resources in the world. And there are various types of advocacy, such as the individual, collective, and public. What do you think some of the secret sauce ingredients are to make a successful advocate in your view and why?
1: I love this question. I think the key thing that makes a successful advocate is an ability to have constructive and persuasive conversations. Why do I think this is so important? Well, two reasons. First of all, we live in a democracy and movement building will always be a powerful element of creating change because ultimately our politicians and theoretically our public policies and our systems should be set up to reflect the will of the people that's kind of the crux of a representative democracy so it's not only the ability to influence upwards and influence decision makers but also to influence members of the public and this is where movement building is really important so you have to be able to influence your peers people who might be on the fence about an issue people who may not see eye to eye on an issue but you have to be able to have those difficult and constructive conversations. And there's a reason why campaigners always end up doing things like door knocking or waiting in shopping centers or or whatever that might be. And that's because person to person. So just a two person conversation is the most effective way to change someone's mind. It can be a pretty difficult thing to do, particularly when somebody doesn't agree with your perspective. But ultimately, people are going to be far more influenced on the topic by somebody who stood there, who's heard their concerns, who has phrased a response within their value set, and who treats them with dignity as opposed to the person who gets online jumps on Twitter and tells them exactly how wrong they are and in all different ways.
0: Yeah, the echo chamber of, you know, belief systems that uh, social media occupies is quite mind-boggling. And I guess, like you say, that conversation might not necessarily change someone entirely, but I I guess it's part of the process of of advocacy.
1: Yeah, that's right. Actually, one last thing I would add to that is um, the other element, apart from good conversations and building movements, is being a good storyteller because fundamentally we are wired to remember stories more than we are to remember numbers. I agree. So if we were to tell the story, and this is a tip that we used to use when I worked in World Vision in the 40-hour famine campaign doing fundraising, if you talk about the number of people who live in poverty, the number bounces off people. We can't quite conceptualize it and people lose their humanity through the interaction because they're just a number. But if you tell the story of somebody, somebody whose livelihood you recognize and whose humanity comes to life, those are the things that really stick with you. So again, the ability to be a good storyteller is pretty fundamental to any successful advocate.
0: That's interesting. Touching on the idea of being digitally connected, because, of course, we're in the middle of a global pandemic still, it's easy to forget that in Australia, which, uh, you know, we have such low case numbers and uh, I think we've only worn masks for a few days in New South Wales and and we'll probably remove those again very soon. Do you think that's actually helped or hindered how advocacy operates? I mean, you've just alluded to the fact of, you know, how powerful that face-to-face conversation and experience can be in creating movements or leading to big changes um, among humans. Do you think it's useful or is it a nice to have or have we have we kind of moved and, we you know, it can replace that face-to-face? Why or why not?
1: Mm, such a good question. Look, there are definitely pluses and minuses for digital. On one hand, we are better connected than at any other time in history, which gives us this incredible ability to organise. And, again, going back to that movement building, it gives us the ability to... Build those movements, connect with people who are like-minded. It gives us the ability to learn more and share that information. So again, sharing personal stories and really raising people's literacy on a particular topic, which is incredibly useful. You could argue that it allows for a better democratization of voices. So anybody can tweet their member of parliament. Anybody can tweet a particular organization. It doesn't mean they're necessarily treated all the same when they get to the other end we have access to decision makers in a way that we haven't previously but on the flip side it's hard to cut through the noise there is so much out there on the internet and so much uh, misinformation as well that it can be very difficult to try and change people's minds online and as you've already said before there are so many people who aren't interested in having constructive conversations so I generally, as a rule, don't engage in conversation with people who might comment on on Instagram on a particular topic because often the comments come from a place that's very inflammatory.
0: Yeah. And And they probably feel a bit safe behind their keyboard, keyboard warriors as we call them.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I've had people put the, the most incredible misinformation on topics like abortion and they'll ask a question in this very inflammatory way and I just can't help but think if you genuinely wanted to know more about this, you could Google it particularly on a topic like abortion.
0: Yeah, that's not the point of the communication for them, obviously. No,
1: it's not. So if somebody sends me a direct message or seeks to have an in-person conversation, yeah, I will absolutely engage. But the way that people engage and show up online is not always the most constructive (laughs) to learning or having these conversations. So as activists, I think it's really important to pick your battles. You have to know which conversations to have and the fact is there will always be 10, 20, 30% of the population who will just not agree with you. They are not open to changing their minds and There's a certain number of conversations that you just have to let go. And I see quite a few of those just let them go conversations online.
0: Absolutely. Nowhere to put your energy. I guess with advocacy, it's really about working towards influencing a whole bunch of institutions. And of course, the big one is government in many ways. What makes this effective? And you know, how do you know how to go about, you know, who you need to influence How do you build that network and what some of the obstacles you might face if you are engaging at that level? I imagine there's some barriers to advocacy because there is resistance to change from bureaucracies. That's just a general kind of characteristic that they have, not all, but a lot. So do you have any advice here for real life advocates trying to cut through those government layers?
1: Mm, Look, I have done this sometimes uh, very well, but more often than not, I have done this very poorly for a number of reasons. And again, it's it's all learning. Bureaucracy is is really hard. And as you've said, it can be difficult to know how to work, who to influence. Something that we used to do back, particularly when I was working with World Vision, and I spent quite a number of years campaigning on our overseas development assistance, particularly in the lead up to the 2016 election. And we used this fabulous tool called Influencer Maps. So, In the centre, you put the name of the person that you're looking to influence. So in that case, it was Julie Bishop. And you take a step back and you look at all the things that influence Julie. And you look at all the things that influence those people. So for example, one of the key uh, people who was influencing Julie Bishop was our Prime Minister at the time, Malcolm Turnbull. So who influences Malcolm Turnbull? And moving back from that, you might find that the person who you thought was the primary target for your campaign, in this case, Julie Bishop, is not actually the most effective starting point. It might be the person who influences Julie who is actually the best person to work
0: towards. That's amazing. Like, it's so simple, but I'm just picturing how effective that would be for a lot of people to realise that they've got to actually step back to actually make progress and look at the network around them.
1: Yeah, and look, we had so much fun Doing those campaigns, thinking creatively, thinking outside the box, doing your research on the individual. So we learned, for example, that Julie Bishop loves garden gnomes. So our campaign is in
0: WA. How did you learn that? That (laughs) sounds like something you'd have to like really dig deep to find.
1: People are incredible. But again, the internet, incredible resource. So people got into the habit of giving her Campaign for Australian Aid branded garden gnomes.
0: Interesting.
1: Or when you're talking about the portion that Australia spends on its aid budget, people would do things like bake giant lamingtons and ask people what portion of the lamington they thought represented our aid budget. And when we cut off the portion, it actually represented People would make comments like, oh, that's so stingy. I want more Lamington. And we'd say, yeah, so do we. So let's talk about (laughs) what we're campaigning for.
0: It's It's a very tangible and fun way to really engage, I guess, as well, rather than just having a pamphlet thrust at you or, you know, some information which you may not be ready to receive.
1: It is. And these sorts of things also allow you to influence the media cycle because, of course, the media likes stories that have good pictures that are quite different. So part of it is also knowing the media cycle and knowing your moment. And as activists and campaigners, sometimes we can be in control of that and we can create the moments per se, but sometimes you also need to be incredibly reactive. And I've also worked on campaigns where we thought we were building up to our crux, something happened, like a change in prime minister, for example, and all of our work was null and void in that moment. Wow. That's a pretty pretty tricky thing to sit with. It's a little bit heartbreaking,
0: to be honest.
1: (laughs) Oh, it is. But again, part of that and cutting through is having to be flexible and agile and understanding what other forces are out there so again having that influence map and knowing for example for a minister Dfat is going to be one of your key departments what are the things happening with DFAT that you need to be aware of
0: yeah no, that's that's really fantastic it's very strategic too you know it's just a different different way of thinking about it
1: it is so I guess the, the other part that I would mention is knowing knowing your cycles so that might be media cycles. You know when is the best time to try and get press for something? Sending out me- media releases the day before or the day of, making sure you've always got good pictures, all those sorts of things. Knowing which publications your influence, your the key p- person you want to influence reads. So again, we were going right. What does Julie Bishop reads? Is she going to be reading Junkie or even The Guardian? Maybe not. So knowing who to target your media towards, but also knowing things like your policy cycles your budget cycles, when is the government actually looking at allocating funding? They're not looking at it the week before the budget. They're looking at it six months before the budget. So the key time to campaign is not necessarily in the lead up to the budget. There might be other types of campaigning like awareness raising but not for more funding. Yeah. Uh, So policy cycle. And then the last thing is knowing the source of the policy you want to change. So was that driven by a minister who said, I want this change? Was it driven by a royal commission, etc.? So knowing where the drivers come from for that particular policy, because that will also help you target who or what you need to be influencing.
0: That's great advice and very, very practical and step-by-step. You're obviously relatively young, although your CV makes me think you're lying about that. <laughs> but have you have you found age being a barrier to finding, I guess, a voice and being taken seriously by more mature leaders, perhaps who feel like they've lived in the world for a long time? There might be a bit scathing about the idea of change and 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 kind of goodwill because you know they've lived through lots of different recessions depressions wars and so forth and even issues like gender inequality and our pay scale you know differences between men and women and even representation in parliament which is something i'm very passionate about i mean it feels like things don't move that quickly how have you made sure that you you've been relevant to i guess a wider audience and and advice that you have to keep yourself motivated as you as you keep advocating? (laughs) Uh, Again a
1: really good question this is something that at times I've done really well and at other times I haven't so some forums like Davos it can be hard I think to get that look in and be taken seriously I'm really fortunate that I do work within a lot of youth spaces so I'm probably towards the older end of youth now I'm 27 but recognizing the role that you can play as a young person and as a young person You can be a bit cheeky, you can think a bit outside the box, but there is this overwhelming pressure to need to present, for example, as professional. So anytime I was meeting with a member of parliament, I would really make an effort to dress up, to put a blazer on, which again is such a shame because putting on a blazer doesn't impact the value that you can add to anything, but it can influence how people feel about you when you walk in a room and it can influence how seriously they take your message, which is endlessly frustrating. Particularly when you note that a lot of youth leadership is relegated to informal spaces, so we don't see a lot of young leaders being given leadership positions in government. We're still missing a lot of young people from parliament, and that becomes even more dire when you look at young people of colour, young women, young gender diverse persons, etc.
0: Absolutely. So have you stayed motivated? Obviously, you've learned as you've gone, but there must be times where it's been hard and you felt like it's a bit overwhelming and maybe, you know, the return on investment of your energy and your time and your ideas has maybe not been reciprocated.
1: Look, to be honest, I woke up this morning and was feeling critically unmotivated, critically unmotivated. I was feeling really flat this morning and was looking forward to this conversation. But even before this conversation, I got a phone call from someone in my networks who is doing incredible work in the gender and politics space. And it's such a good reminder that the thing that I love is potential. I love, I thrive on ideas, I thrive on opportunity, but most of all, it's about having a great community of people around you, people who understand your ups and downs, people who can remind you of your wins, because we're really good at putting everything behind us and go, oh yeah, but you know that's in the past. What do things look like moving forward? All oh, things moving forward look hard. So surrounding yourself by pe- with people who understand your passions, who understand your motivations, and who can ultimately keep you going. I was listening to a podcast at the end of last year. It was a podcast of One Zone and an interview that Julie Gillard did with Clementine Ford. And Clem used this spectacular analogy of a choir and activism being like singing in a choir. Some days you're going to have a sore throat or you're just not going to have the energy to show up. But the good part about being in a choir is that other people will keep singing for you and they will keep singing until you feel ready to to rejoin that chorus. And, again, that's the benefit of working in a movement and working with people who are around you. Sometimes you're not going to feel like you can sing, but people will remind you why you joined, why you started in the first place, and will keep that going for
0: you. And you're only human, right? I mean, we all have good and bad days, you know. Yes, yeah,
1: absolutely. And, again, as activists... As you've said, there are a lot of times when your work actually doesn't get up Yeah. or you're not taken seriously or you miss your moment or the bloody Prime Minister changes and you have to start from scratch again. Aww. So it can require a lot of resilience.
0: We haven't had that for a while, but we do have memories of that in Australia. We do, we
1: do. It was a time. It was a real time to be an activist. But, again, there's so much value in, in taking that time to, to ruminate and to surround yourself with, with other motivated people who remind you why you got started in the first place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm sure you're a mentor to many people out there, not just young women but all sorts of people. You must have had some mentors in your journey no matter where you are. I always think people have helped you along the way. Do you have one or two that stand out and what have they taught you about life?
1: I am fortunate to have quite a lot of mentors um, and different mentors at different points in time I've got professional mentors, I've got activist mentors, I've got social entrepreneur mentors. So again, just incredibly lucky to have this support of other incredible people in my community. One of my best mentors at the moment, um, her name is Ritu Clementi. She runs her own program, the Girls Leadership Network here in the ACT. And she has got the most incredible activist background, and um, particularly from when she was living in the United States. She's an incredible leader, an incredible woman of color, and she's so great at calling me on my crap.
0: And I—that's what you need sometimes, too. a butt kicker. I call them. It is such a <laughs>
1: valuable trait to have in a mentor. And I'm somebody who is quite risk averse, quite down in the details. And she will always stop me and go, Ash, lift it up lifted up about six levels. This is not stuff you need to be worrying about. You don't have foundations in place. How can you already be doing risk mitigation when you haven't pulled your head up and really affirmed a strategy? And she was so fundamental in me being able to start Raise Our Voice Australia because she sat me down and said, Ash, you've been talking about this for months. Are you going to do it or not? And if you are going to do it, I will sit down with you every week, I will sense check, I will brainstorm, I will support you to get where you need to go. And if it wasn't for her, I really don't think I would have brought it to life. So I value her mentorship and her friendship so much and I'm so grateful to have somebody who has invested in me like that.
0: Absolutely. So if you could choose a favourite book, song or film, what would it be and why? And it doesn't have to be something political and serious. I, I often get really interesting answers from people and that's what makes this, this bit fun.
1: <laughs> okay, I'll give one of each. There's quite a few films that pop to mind, but one that just makes my heart sing is Pride. It was on Netflix for a limited release fairly recently and it's about the gay, gays and lesbians against the support the minors. So it was a movement back in Wales under Margaret Thatcher's prime ministership. Oh, I remember
0: this. Oh. That's amazing. I do remember. I remember that film and I remember how it made me feel and just looking back at that time as well. It is Incredible. fabulous.
1: I absolutely adore it. And
0: why do you love it? Do you think it just speaks to you or what is it about the film?
1: I think it does. It's, it's a lot of passionate young people. Uh, it's the conservative Welsh communities and Welsh women in particular who then take on that leadership role. It's looking at how they came together to, again, build that movement and it's how they saw past their differences and focused on their humanity. And I think there's something so fundamentally wholesome about that. It just oh, it makes my heart sing.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Just to wrap up today, what would be your final takeaway message on the politics of advocacy?
1: My final message would be stay passionate and stay resilient. Stay passionate because oh, passion drives everything. Passion will get you from A to B. Passion will keep you motivated. And surround yourself with uh, similarly passionate people. They don't have to share your particular passion, but that energy of passion is palpable. And stay resilient. Yeah. Well, again, activism takes work. And to create good change, you want it to be systemic. But systemic change or cultural change is by far the hardest to create. So keep your hopes up high. Keep your head down low.
0: Oh, that's such great advice. And you are definitely wise beyond your years. We're almost 20 years apart, but I didn't feel (laughs) like that at all in this conversation, which is why I wanted to get you on to the program. You have been listening to The Politics of Everything. If you want to connect further with Ashley, there will be some details on the show notes, as always. And until next time, keep well. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.